Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisila. Take that down. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Systemic Solutions, which is a fancy way of saying that Jeremy is involved in making the world a better place in a variety of ways. And we're going to talk about a couple of them today. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here. I'm actually not wearing a hat today. So it's... Uh, I mean, technically, you're always feet. wearing a lot of hats. But <laughs> true, true. So... Um, I met Jeremy actually through the Harmony Voices Foundation um, is Alicia Fall, who is always bringing amazing people together. Uh, but maybe, I mean, we talked a little bit, but maybe can you give some form of summary <laughs> about what you're up to or maybe what led you into that? Sure. Wait. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's been a long journey. Um, I, I did. I I've always been a researcher, even from when I was really little. And my mom always jokes that, uh, like, I I was the the kid that wanted to dissect the bugs, but God <laughs> forbid if my brother squished the bugs. Um, and it was one of those things that, uh, even from a, like very little, it was there was an understanding and appreciation for nature, and that's a lot to do with my grandparents and. Um, it's it's really been quite a wild ride in the fact of everything beyond everything that's going on it's um i actually started doing copywriting in my late 30s and started traveling and realized that the the impacts that i was starting to see um beyond my home like on the tv were actually real and actually feeling those effects and seeing the communities and how they were immediately impacted and so shifted into sustainable copywriting. Um, and then from there, I was teaching abroad. And while I was teaching English, I was teaching English in Korea and Hong Kong in very high polluted areas. And I was like, man, there's got, I have to figure something out. Mm -hmm. And uh, got involved with uh, Green Revolution and the Green Revolution Foundation is, uh, it's it's getting its legs underneath it. And they're trying to do the world's first non, or, non-for-profit coffee shop where all the proceeds will go towards activists and research for things like myself um, that we're working on helping. That's right. Right. Greenrevolution.earth. That's it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I started investigating hemp. I started looking into agriculture um, just to understand the, the things that I was seeing of the variations in food were all based on what you could get. Um, so like being from the Midwest, I love meat and cheese. Um, being in Asia, they don't have a whole lot of cheese. So learn to get away from those habits. But it was very interesting dynamic of seeing, you know, as you're into these communities, how they've adapted and adjusted. And there's a lot of pieces that play a role in food. Um, mm -hmm. I've always loved to cook. So it was something that it was very, um, it, was, it was a passive process for me. It was something mm -hmm. I was like, natural interest of just wanting to understand more and it's taken me along a long journey of understanding hemp and uh, sustainable systems and learning about regenerative agriculture and then tying that in of the reality of the indigenous wisdoms that i'd learned from from growing up with my grandparents um it's it's really kind of one of those things that's come full circle now at this mm -hmm. point so it's 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 been a crazy ride but happy mm -hmm. to be at this point now, and I, I appreciate the the things that you've brought into my awareness and the way that, I mean, you do seem tireless. Like, <laughs> I guess probably I'm not always around, but 
I, you know, for those of you that are tuning in, like, it's not uncommon to be talking to Jeremy and he'll be like, I'm doing this thing and this thing. I'm gonna go fight a fire and then I'm come back and write a grant. And you're like, wow, <laughs> I may be doing none of those things. and I'm already exhausted, but I'm glad you're out there. <laughs> and uh, so I guess, how do you do that? Like, you definitely do seem to go full steam. Do you um, do you have ways that you rejuvenate or do you just fall over like a toddler? <laughs> um, well, uh coffee goes a long way um mm -hmm. I've, I've worked on eating healthier and having better habits uh, yeah. but the, the reality is um it's the and, and to be honest in all truth it's it's just passion um it's mm -hmm. something that um from from my experiences as traumatic as some of them were for for being you know grew up in a middle class family nothing really abnormal in my childhood but was really when I started traveling and experiencing, you know, water deprivation and people that just seeing whole communities living in shanties in South Africa or seeing people starving from hunger and people digging through garbage cans just to eat, like those types of experiences have become extremely traumatic in a good way for me because it's something mm -hmm. that's a constant reminder of um, the reality of what people are going through. So those, those experiences um, and I still, to this day, continue to try and remind myself and reimmerse myself in those experiences of there are people that are, are suffering through a lot. So that that primarily is where I get my energy of having that mm -hmm. those visuals and just remembering those moments of um, if, if I'm not doing it, you know, I'm not helping these other people. So that's right. that's a big motivator. Mm -hmm. Um. Mikey also wants the hat gang, uh, which, you know, I feel like we really ought to have a pause at some point and, and, and bring everybody into the joy of the hat game. But, uh, <laughs> but until then, I mean, that's... You gotta, I mean, I have my squid hat, like, like we could make, we could take this up a notch. Um, but I, to, not to, to go back to what you're saying, cause it's actually really serious and important. And I think it's something that you know, I heard this once that, you know, capitalism is people starving next to a pile of food. And I feel like that we, especially for folks who are brought up in America and maybe haven't had the chance for whatever reason to really experience another culture, there's a lack of understanding of how high a level of consumption that we engage in without comprehension of the like conservation efforts or even small amounts of thoughtfulness that could be reduction in our impact, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, it, that's to be honest, that's one of the biggest obstacles for me being back in the U.S. Um, there's, it's a difficult process because it's something where seeing those things, it's hard to come back and just forget. And it's hard to go back to normal and life as usual, like, I've worked in restaurants where people are just complaining about, you know, steaks. And I'm like, listen, yeah, it's you, you wanted it this, it's like medium plus instead of medium. It's like, okay, is that really enough to throw a temper tantrum and all of these things? And it, it was hard because for me mm -hmm. coming from these other things, you, you get a whole different perspective of what it's like to be hungry. And it's mm -hmm. the, the issues that we face, is, and that's how I got into the waste management aspect of, of agriculture and just human consumption in general, is we look at these things like they're an infinite resource. And the problem is, as you know, they're finding out in the Southwest, and, and to be fair, a lot of them already knew it, water is a very finite resource. Food is mm -hmm. like topsoil. They're all finite. There's only so much. We can always make more topsoil. But the process of eroding it is so much faster. It's just, it's similar to, you know, it's easy to gain weight for a lot of us. It's- really I am so hard. good at that. I am so really- Right. <laughs> I'm so good at it. I wish I could stop. <laughs> right. But it's, uh -huh. those, those are the pieces where it's like, okay, um, yeah. it's it's easy to take. It's hard to give. And that's that's mm -hmm. really where we're at, in especially in terms of a society in the US. It's, that's completely general, but it's- we don't really care where our stuff goes. Once it's out of our hand and in the bin, that's yeah. it. I did my job. I put it in the recycling. But the truth is, is that a lot of those don't actually go where they're supposed to. A lot of them, as people are finding, go to the ocean. They go, yeah. they go to where we don't want them to be. 
and they make our lives more difficult. And that's because of this, it's out of sight, out of mind. And it's, mm-hmm. that's, it, you can't have it both ways where it's, I have an infinite amount of stuff and I have a finite place for it to go. Once it's here, it's gone. I never have to think I mean, about the plastic bottle again. It's kind of how we built Manhattan, right? Like, I mean, maybe we just want to make another island. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We don't want to do they're, that. They're making them uh, in Korea. So it's, yeah. uh, well, I'm, I'm very interested to see how, I call it the Waterworld Project in Korea, where they're making homes and these complexes. I loved that movie, but it was horrible. Let's be clear. <laughs> It's well, yeah, theory, theory and application are very different, especially in the mm-hmm. world of science. So it's, I'm interested and in, I'm following it very closely, but it's still one of those where I'm like, yeah, there's other solutions. It's like going to Mars. Yeah. Mars, if we can't do it here, we probably can't do it on Mars. So let's run a couple of things. Let's try some stuff and see what we can do and make our lives better. But yeah. Well, and you're one of the things that you're talking about too, I think is important to note, which is that like, the way that we manage our trash and our infrastructure around things like say recycling and waste is the, we don't, we haven't created a system in which corporations, like you can't go to the store and buy something not in plastic. Like you could try and it's really unreasonable. Like, yes, there was that woman on like, you know, like I lived a whole year with my own toothpaste and you know what, that's great, but it's really not something that the majority of people are going to have the time and space for. And, and especially like at a scalable level that would make a difference. What we need is a systemic change. Right. And part of that is for corporations to take responsibility for the waste they create. Like they create all of this plastic packaging that, we kind of don't have an option to purchase. And then we're shamed for not recycling properly when that's not even going to be turned into new packaging. Like it's a very, very effective manipulation to take the focus away from the people who create the problem because they don't want to spend their profits on fixing it. In my opinion, personally, end rant. Yes. No, exactly. <laughs> I've, I've, I've spoken to, to numerous people about it. Um, in, in the Global Hemp Association, there's a gentleman, Joe, Joe Hickey, um, and he's he's brilliant. He's been in the hemp industry for a long time. And I've talked to him um, a couple of weeks ago about that um, because he's uh, doing a lot for the legal legalities of hemp um, in the cannabis industry. And I'm like, where is greenwashing at the end of it? Like, where where is that accountability? Do you of, define what greenwashing is just for folks well, too? See, that's that's the the amazing part. So it's extremely I'm smiling out of just raw frustration, to be honest. <laughs> OK, <laughs> that's, it's 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 only laughable. Um, okay. So greenwashing is there's a bunch of different ways of doing it. It's a marketing strategy that businesses and people, nonprofits, we do it on a daily basis of things that we say and do that. Um, it's It's a matter of for me accountability. If I say I'm sustainable, Jeremy, how are you sustainable? What are you doing? Oh, well, I'm no longer, you know, consuming plastics. Well, that's great. Um, is there, how are you not consuming plastics? Oh, well, I'm just, you know, reusing the same like plastic bottle or, you know, I'm not drinking plastic bottles of water anymore. It's like, well, what kind of detergent do you use? Oh, I use liquid detergent. Does that come in a plastic bottle? Yeah, but I'm not consuming plastic. It has to, and it's like, okay, no, 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 stop. Mm-hmm. The effort, the effort is there. The intent, all mm-hmm. and a lot of these per, like people that do this, the intent is genuine. They really do want to do better, and they want to. And but that's where this system thought process comes in of understanding the dynamics of what you're doing. It's well, I'm no longer buying plastics from this. But it's you're right. The, the inevitability of avoiding plastics entirely is just like going cold turkey on fossil fuels. It's mm-hmm. not realistic. Should we cut back? Should they be reduced? 100%. But then greenwashing comes in of these bioplastics. And almost every bioplastic that I've looked at has been something where there's still petroleum based in it. But there's multiple groups that have said, I have this bioplastic pen. When you're done with it, you can stick it in your compost and it'll be gone. It's like, hmm. no, that's not how yeah. that works. It can be composted. It has to be industrialized, industrially composted. 
which means it has to go to a specific facility. It can be done. It's just that there's a gap in the communication that's mm -hmm. inconvenient for either the listener or for the marketer. And so that's where you get in that fine line of greenwashing of, is there a quantifiable intent? And is it clearly communicated to create realistic expectations for the consumer? And that's really where the greenwashing gets frustrating for me because there's a, a, a tug and pull of, well, our consumer's not smart enough to understand what this is, so we won't tell them. Hmm. Okay, but there's also like all of these things of even your toothpaste, like your, your toothbrush is plastic. So really where is that line drawn of, do you, do you like, do we want to go back to, you know, getting hair and taking mm -hmm. care to brush our teeth or what's the other solution? And the problem is for a lot of these, there's not, but it's, there's people with really good intentions that are working on them. So it's, I'm like, I get it. And I want to support what you're doing, but please stop saying this. Like you have to take this out of your language because you're setting a false expectation where it's, mm -hmm. we're finding now with, so like going into the electric cars on a tangent, mm -hmm. that tires are actually emitting more uh, like, not, like fumes and gases and toxic chemicals than the cars. Hmm. The torque and the way that the engines work, you're actually releasing more um, chemicals into the air from the tires than you would by a normal gas, like from the exhaust pipe. Hmm. So, it's and and that study is it, it, even in my perspective biased, but it is something where we're not really thinking through that, and we're looking mm -hmm. at all these batteries of, well, that's great that you got a battery, but it was mined. Are you accounting for that carbon footprint of you mining that, of you mm -hmm. manufacturing it, of you delivering it to be put in the car? Those are not parts that are included in their their carbon removal process. It's you have no fossil fuel emissions from your car, which is true, but the fossil fuel emissions that went into making the battery is massive. Mm -hmm. Also, the fossil fuel impact, the carbon impact that goes into where does the battery go when it's done is massive. And where I'm from in Ohio, there's our electric grid is fed by nearly 70% fossil fuels. Mm. So any electricity you're putting into your electric car is still fossil fuel based. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's, there's a, a gap in the communication where people have the best intentions. I want to buy an electric car because I want to do what's best for the world. But there's not enough accessible information for the consumer to make that choice and say, okay, let's mm -hmm. start pushing for a better innovation and a better method. And that's where things like the bio batteries and things like that are coming in. It's just they're not quite to lithium yet. So I'm really excited mm -hmm. for those, but it's... We still have a little bit of work to do. We still have time, yeah. Well, and it's the it's sort of I think about like plastic. So, you know, it's become demonized because it's ubiquitous. But at the same time, um, individual packaging and plastic lined uh, cans created a lot of food safety, and that you know figuring out how we would transition to safe practices. That because that and and that's I think what you said earlier. It, it's not just with science. Like ideas and ideals are beautiful, right? We all have this the theory, right? And then there's dealing with the practicalities. And there are certain things that I think as modern people, we don't always think about. Like pre-COVID, most people would have been like, ah, we got this stuff solved, right? <laughs> and now it's like, oh, wait a minute. Now we, we are still susceptible to weather and viruses and food safety issues and preservation. Like we still have all the same needs. We've come up with a lot of innovations that allow us to do it at scale and much more safely, but they are having this other impact on our climate and in the world that is obviously not acceptable. And at the same time, trying to come up with a solution that also deals with that uh, safety needs and those kinds of things is it's it's complicated, which is why it's going to I think could probably be piecemeal, and and we're gonna have some stops and starts, and and I think that that's one of the things that we you know maybe we're so used to like things just working because we we lived in this very short period of time where a lot of technology just made things real convenient, and I think that one of the 
personally, one of the attitudes I think we need to adopt is a little bit more of that innovative sort of like, all right, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, and it's, it, it goes into my, like the systems thought process is actually something that I will, will I'll just admit I stole it. It's something, okay. it's, I, it's a concept that I stole from, and it's an indigenous concept. It's something where, is what I'm doing benefiting today? seven generations down, is it going to benefit them? And it's, mm. it's that process of thinking of looking from, you know, instead of cradle to grave, we're looking at a cradle to cradle where we're creating a loop of we're getting out of the single use. There wasn't a single use in the indigenous communities. It was you use everything. Everything has a purpose and everything has a place. And it's something where if you killed a bison, you used everything. Everything was used. And it's, we somehow got out of that into this egotistical mentality of infinite resources, infinite wealth. And I, I, I joke with my parents about the 80s and the big consumerism and multi, you know, nationals and all these huge conglomerates creating this mental space of I can do whatever I want because I can just buy more of it or I can do like I can get this or like there is a, a concept of, of possessions that happens where as we're getting into these younger generations, we're finding that the possessions aren't as valuable anymore. It's more mm -hmm. about, I want to spend time with my family. I want to travel. I want to, you know, and it's more about, I'll take less money. I'll, I would love to get paid the same or more money, but the, the mental space is I would rather get less money to be able to be happy today and to live in the now. And that's really where there was a massive shift of transition where I think, um, being on the borderline of a Gen X and millennial, it's we're viewed as, you know, other sides of, of the, the, the die, if you will. But really, it's still the same thing. It's just a matter of we took a different perspective on the world of we saw what happened from working in cubicles. And it's like, I love my parents to death. But at the same time, that's it's something that um, it was a reality for me at a very young age of I want to do something that makes me happy. Like mm -hmm. once to have to complain about waking up to work and doing all dealing with people I don't like it's, and that's where I think a lot of these entrepreneurs are coming where there's so much potential for change that it's, 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 it has a lot of potential to be catastrophic, catastrophic um, because mm -hmm. there's so much excitement and so much urgency now to change because of climate, because of the water shortage, because of the fertilizer like shortage because of what's happening in Ukraine, like mm -hmm. all of these things, mm -hmm. India, like there's, I read a, an article that 5 million people have already been displaced in India this year, just because of climate issues, flooding and droughts. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they're expecting within the next three to five years, 300 million people in India will be suffering from hunger. So it's like these waves are coming and there's such a need for the younger people because they know and they see it. But what's happening is you're, they're creating solutions that only impact the today. They don't really look to 2050 and 2100 because in, in their minds, for, for a good portion of them, it's, I need to do it today. I need to maximize my impact now. I need to get carbon out of the atmosphere. I need to do this. And it's like, but there's not enough of that systems and generational thought of what is my impact? So my concern for it is we're just going into the 80s again just from a different side where it's like I'm rushing into it's um, like these, I can, I can have this now. So I'm going to mm -hmm. get it. And it's like, but how does that impact your kids? How does that impact your grandkids? Like these decisions, we're not looking far enough down the chain to say, how does it impact these farmers? How does it impact, you know, this city or these communities? And it's, we're so caught up on the, uh, the blinding, perspective of this is it i need to do it now and i need to do it fast that we're not exactly looking at the big picture of well how does this impact the ocean how does this impact you know all of the yes we'll save the glaciers but what does that do for these communities here and it's like mm -hmm. that's where the indigenous side really comes into play for a lot of the things that i discussed because it's it's beyond you know the self there's there's so many other pieces at play, especially when talking about the environment, that mm -hmm. it's it's naive to think that you can change it by one solution. There's 
Yeah. No real silver bullets, unfortunately. At least I haven't yeah. found one. <laughs> well, I mean, if anyone had, I would assume you'd at least be on the trail. You're uh, you're definitely more steeped in information than uh, I would say the the typical um, uh, person. And uh, I appreciate that. I learned a lot working with you. Um, you just made me think of like I think also in a, in addition to the whatever else it is. One of the things that I've noticed is our, our news cycle is very short, right? Like they raised inflation or they raised interest rates like last week. And now everybody's like, oh my gosh, how are we going to deal with all this inflation? And and it, it I, I'm not saying it's been building up, but it's like, it's like something gets noticed and then suddenly it's, it's everything for like two weeks, <laughs> right? Right. And then we solved that, whatever it was. It's very like sitcom-y almost. Or if we haven't solved it, we stop talking about it. We move on to the next thing. And I feel like that, that like the there's so much happening and we're in this instant information age. And so the being able to step back and by the time I've actually thought through something, the news cycle is two or three steps past me because I need a little time to kind of digest the information and the impact and who's affected and who's, you know, make sure I'm checking sources that, that I feel are reasonably credible, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So by the time I've gone through all of that on a topic, no one, nobody's interested in it. <laughs> and the news is definitely not talking about it anymore. Right. And so I feel like that part is challenging. Like, how do you find folks? Like if you're wanting to engage in something that's maybe a larger systemic solution, how do I find those people when it's so easy for things to just get buried very quickly? Well, and that's, I don't want to get into conspiracies, but that's, I, I feel like that's part of the agenda is it's the intentions, the attention span. It's once the ratings start to drop from the attention, they're like, okay, there's other stuff to talk. Like the world's on fire. There's plenty of things. There's plenty of oh, yeah. fires all over that we can talk about. So it's, it's really just jumping from one to the other. And I think for me, my, my biggest recommendation as someone that's even to this day wearing numerous hats working in, you know, remediation and, you know, combating desertification and then supporting indigenous communities and phyto mining and all these other things. It's like we can it's it's okay to be involved in a couple different things, but the key will be doing the things that you enjoy. Do it because it has some kind of connection to you and some kind of it resonates because just like everything, if, if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to want to continue it. And that's really the secret sauce of me holding a lot of this information in, you know, my head that's filled primarily with rocks. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things that if, if it's important, you'll remember it. And if it's important, you'll want to learn about it. And that's really where uh, just from me being a teacher, that was a huge motivator for my students when I taught of find your passion, pursue it. It's something where if, if it's something that you enjoy, you'll read it, you'll learn about it, you'll want to do more outside of the classroom. And that's when I knew that I did a good job was if I could find that connection of something tangible in the real world to what I was teaching in the class. That's really where you create, you generate that change, and you generate that inspiration. And I don't need to motivate you there. It's one of those that It'll, it, it will find you. If, if you dig deep enough, I connected with uh, a gentleman from the UN last night just because I was watching YouTube videos about a topic that he specialized in. And like three videos later, he was mentioned in all three. And I was like, well, I guess I need to reach out and talk to this guy and mm -hmm. responded. And I was just I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like so yeah. excited about something simple. But it's it, it, it was just a topic that I was like, OK, well, I need to look into this. I'll read some research papers. I'll try and find them on YouTube and just see what they're involved in and what they're talking about. And it's that curiosity takes you down the rabbit hole where it's like you find that person and then that person is happy to help because it's they understand that the, the issue is bigger than themselves. Wait, sorry. So, I wanted to make you vague. There we go. Oh, no. <laughs> You're talking. So, this is how we should be doing this. <laughs> so that's that's really where I recommend for people to go. And the app mm -hmm. that I, I generally recommend them to take is find something and then find, you know, like in the in the entrepreneurial age, it's like you need a mentor. Well, have have a couple mentors, have people that are really specialized that you can build a relationship with 
and trust and say, hey, um, if I have any questions, can I can I ask you if, if you mm -hmm. find any research papers that you think of me, send them to me. I, I'd love to read them like I want to and, and express that as a grateful learning opportunity of you're just happy to be there and happy to help. And, and at that point, that's when the hand comes down to pull you into whatever you're, you're doing. So it's, it's a longer process, but it's one where I've had a lot of, I'll say success. I've, I've found a lot of really influential and very intellectual people that I'm like, I, I could not do this without them. So. Mm -hmm. No, know, I think, you, you know, you that's great advice. That's really great advice. And I think it, I mean, and it speaks to my own experiences in life where if you really dedicate yourself to your passion, that there are a lot of opportunities that can arise um, in surprising ways. And so giving yourself the opportunity to discover those and not follow a script, because I do feel like that's a lot of it. Like if you're going to be part of addressing some of the negative impact of our system, the script that we are handed or absorb like the water we drink is probably not the script that's going to help dismantle that. And so uh, <laughs> you're going to have to kind of step out a little bit into something uncomfortable and weird and try a different way. Right. And it's, I think from a business standpoint, it's something where I, I wasn't always doing this. I was, you know, copywriting and teaching and learning about this. And it was only because I was passionate about it that I was able to do that. But because I was passionate about it, I was able to say, okay, instead of an hour of Netflix at the end of the day to relax, you know, I'm going to watch, you know, these, this documentary series, or I'm going to watch, like, I don't know if you've heard of like, but there's a, a website called water bear and they've got a bunch of documentaries for free. And so I got started just, watching those actually on my LinkedIn, I've got greenwashing for hamsters was from them. Um, and they get little hamsters to act out what greenwashing is. And it's, it's something where it's, um, it, it, it's a really important resource for me, even to this day of, of watching things like that. And it's, it's similar to like a Seaspiracy or, you know, all of these big, um, Netflix documentaries, which, um, it's they're 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 haunting for me to be honest because mm -hmm. some of them I've physically experienced those and it's those are those are great and those are for mass culture but for there's plenty of other sites beyond that one of where you can go and you can just experience different things and it's it's still a visual piece but at to this point I'll watch Netflix a couple times but really it's it's more the documentary stuff. It's where can I get information? How can I learn about something? It gives my eyes a little bit of a rest from reading research articles for, for hours at a time because it's as much as, you know, I enjoy. That could be, that could be heavy language. It's, it's hard to, <laughs> to be motivated to read, you know, a three in a day. But it's if you love it, you'll do it. So I'm a bit oh, of a. Here's, here's your our friend Jason Jacobs. Hey. Keep the collective support going to help you be you. Excellent vision, Jeremy, and the universe looks forward to helping you with your success for the health of people, planet, spirit, and prosperity. Thank you for being here, Jason. J um, Jason, Jason's my guy. I love Jason. Um, he's actually, I actually met him through a group uh, called Catalyst 2030. And that mm -hmm. was one where it just, it was an organic thing. Like with Green Revolution, they asked me to, to, to do a speaking opportunity and I met Asha Murphy, who's in Australia, um, and she connected me with Jason, who connected me to the scholar practitioner group there with a group of really brilliant researchers in Oceana. And it's it's been an amazing experience, a lot of information in a global network. But um, and I saw Green Revolutions. So that's Attila. Um, yeah. Attila's. I couldn't believe. Guy. I was living in, uh, I was teaching in Budapest and actually met a blues singer from Hungary that was living in Amsterdam. And I was just like, this is just too small. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, I've, I, it's been a pleasure kind of work, to work with him and, and do all the stuff that we're doing. And it's, I'm really excited um, mm -hmm. for these community impacts that we've got working. Um, well, and you remind I used to have a bumper. I used to have one of those cards full of bumper stickers. And one of my favorites was get involved. The world is run by those who show up. And 
to a certain extent, that's really true. And, the, you know, you met Attila and you met Jason, and I'm so grateful to have met both of them through you and through Her Many Voices Foundation, because it's really inspiring to see people are committed to making a difference and to doing the work. It's part of why I was talking to you about why I do this particular show is um, I want to, I really want to raise up these, these things that people are doing to, to solve our problems, to create new opportunities, to create new opportunities for energy and food, to address climate impact and the, the ravages that it's having on people and countries. And there's so much that's being done that's to the betterment, but we are, just don't know much about it or how to get involved or participate or support or anything like that. So actually, I have two questions for you. One, What's one of the most surprising things you learned in your journey into climate awareness? And then two, it, you said one of the things that you said about like your tagline kind of is that uh, one simple act is enough to begin making the world a better place. And so it's the most surprising thing. And then what is a simple act that that you can recommend? Two part. Um, yeah, I was. <laughs> I don't really deal with surprises too much. It's more of a, there, there's moments of enlightenment, I would say, where I'm just like, I never thought of that. And actually, um, one of my colleagues, Erin Lindley, she calls it hypothesizing. <laughs> I'll, I'll get an idea and kind of have a little bit of a tangent curve on it and be like, oh, that would be really cool if it actually works like that. And then you get those moments where it's like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. But every <laughs> now and then, you'll get one where you're like, oh my gosh. I can't believe that actually worked. And those are like the really exciting times. Um, mm -hmm. But for the most surprising, I would say is um, the interest from investors and the interest in governments to do things and then contradict them. Um, it's, I, I speak in part of why I don't, I'm not boisterous about all the things that I work on is you get a lot of investors that are like, I want to, I want to help you. I want to do this. I want to, you know, what do you need? It's like, I need money. Like money, <laughs> money makes the world go round. Like, you know, yeah. that I know that I hate it, but that's the reality. And it's like, if mm -hmm. you give me money, I can maximize it because I can change this community's life. Like I know for a fact what needs to be done and I can do it. And they're like, okay, great. And that's it. And it's like, okay. Um, what are we doing? It's like, oh, well, I'm not, I, I can't do it. Or like uh, a lot of the government stuff will be, you know, we're going to stop drilling for oil in the U S or we're going to stop these, these oil lines going mm -hmm. through. And there's a, a project in Minnesota stop line three. That is just that it's these oil companies are, are boring through indigenous lands and the indigenous communities agreed to it. There was an agreement that was taken. The problem is, is that these companies took it way too far. They're draining mm -hmm. water. They're, they're actually, you know, depleting. There's, there's a mussels population in the river. That's only, it's only in this river that these, that these, uh, this species exists. And they're on the brink of extinction because these companies are taking the, the water out. And it's like, there's all of these things where it's, it's so quick to say, yes, I'll present the best piece. And then it's so fast to just go back on it. And it's like, that's really where for me it's coming from a genuine place and wanting to do everything I can putting mm -hmm. so much you've seen so much time and energy into this it's such it, it that's the most exhausting part for me is it's all of this potential and all of these things that you can do and it's just you just need that last step that never comes and it's like mm -hmm. it, it's really it's really difficult because I wish it was different Cause it's, I speak with people all the time that say money's not, money's not an issue we can find you money. And it's, it, it's one of those things that uh, the, the powers that be will determine eventually where that goes. And so until you have a proof of concept, it's really difficult to get it, um, which makes it, it's one of those scenarios of, uh, I don't know if you had it when I graduated from college, it was, well, you don't have this experience. So you don't qualify for this role. It's like, well, if I don't have the experience. How am I going to get any of these roles? And it's like, well, right. <laughs> and it's like, okay. So round and round we go in the carousel. Um, and then what was the second one? 
So this is your, you you said your tagline is one simple act is enough to begin making the world a better place. And yes. you obviously do many acts, simple and not. And, but for folks that are listening uh, that are like, I'm super motivated. I, I want to address some aspect of this climate impact. How do, what's an act they can do or a place they can get involved? Like, Obviously, you recommended the waterbear.com, but yeah, um, I and that's you know what that's that's the the miracle that it is of um, it does it doesn't have to be a place. Um, I was when I was backpacking a, a years ago, um, originally, I met a, a, an Italian gentleman who was walking from Milan on the Camino in Spain, and I randomly ran into this person and um. We were talking and he was just telling me stories about he met a, a gentleman in France that was homeless and he's walking with all of this stuff. But he just he gave his tent to this homeless person because he didn't need it anymore. And it's like he, we were just discussing all of the things that we were shedding along this journey that we never knew what the impact of those things were, those acts of kindness. But it's like there, there was something residual in it that we were able to share that it's like even though I don't know the impacts of the things that I did up until that point and the things that I still do, I'll never really know what my impact is on, on you or the people that I work with. But it's like, yeah. my goal is to always make it something where you feel inspired and you feel motivated and you feel something that it's like, you want to pay that forward and pass it along. And it's that one act, whether I'm doing it on purpose or not, I, that's the way that I try and lead um, when I in, in, interact and engage with people. It's what makes you happy? What makes you motivated? Let's let's find that and let's do that. And it's it's not necessarily a thing. And it, it's um, almost all of them are non-money related. And that's mm -hmm. where for me it's it's been the the resonating. Um, the greed is is just a it's it's a mental space. It's something where. I've been my happiest when I've had nothing. Um, and it, it's really something that, you know, you, it doesn't take a specific thing to make someone's day. Like I, when uh, I was out in Denver visiting Alicia, I was with Attila and we were talking to Jason. And every time I talk to that dude, I get the biggest smile on my face, like his, mm -hmm. his energy. And it's yeah. like, it's, it, it, it's, you just aspire to be those, those types of people. And it's like, mm -hmm. It's, that's really where I think they're the strongest capability of just something as simple as smiling at a stranger, um, you know, acknowledging someone's presence, like those same general, like saying please and thank you and, and common courtesies go a long way where is it going to change the world? No, but you don't know that person. They could change the world. You mm -hmm. could have given them a positive outlook that changes the whole trajectory of, of how things go. And that's really where, like, it's always, you know, you, you want to be the best person for everyone that you can be. And it's it's really hard. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> I love your, you're, like, so smiley. You're, like, it's really it's, hard. No. It's really I hard. It's, I have to smile when I, uh, you know, think about things like that. Because I'm just like, no, don't don't show your colors. Be happy. Got to, yeah. you know, muster this up for everybody. Um, but it, that's it's true. Like, we all get tired. We all get, you know worn down and it's but it's something where making making the most of every opportunity that you get is really what's going to empower people to, to be better it's see like engaging with you and engaging with the people that i do and the people that i'll watch this later it's there's so much potential in in everybody and i firmly believe that and it's whether it's for good or bad i can't change the course of your life but i can have an impact that could possibly do it and so that's where it's by me being selfless for a little bit of time, I'm allowing you to be selfless, whether it's in that moment or later. It, that's that's the aspiration of the impact is, you know, like Gandhi being being the change you wish to see in the world. It's something where it's you never you can't quantify your impacts, but it's something where if you if you never do it, you'll never be the example that you want other people to have. So it's more or less leading from the front for me. No, I, I feel that I think that it's there's a an old saying that like a lot of people want to change the world and very few people want to change themselves. And 
it, and it's to me that's like I actually did a, a series, a blogging series called "Be the Change," a couple of years ago, and made a suggestion every week for people to take on to say like, "Try this. What would this be like? How does this feel?" Not you know, and to kind of like just experiment with your own engagement in the world and and what you what you put out there and what you invite and and how you show up, because we have so many unconscious instincts and. And so getting some sense of like what maybe how to be a little more intentional for me, at least, was helpful in, in understanding, like you were talking about, some of my impact and the ways in which I might be influencing people uh, a counter to my own values just because I'm having a reaction to, you know, honestly, something that, my, you know, probably my parents did when I was four, right? Like, I mean, who knows? Brains. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's to be honest, like um, I think it was an episode of Friends where Joey was proving that there's no such thing as a truly selfless act, and it's mm -hmm. it's true. Like I'm not gonna lie, every every time that I I realize that I've had a positive impact on someone's day, I get a kick of dopamine. Like I feel really good about myself. I'm very happy that I was able to do that, and that's what continues that process. And it's selfish because. I want that dopamine kick and I want to feel good about myself, but it's, it's also something where it's the cost is well worth it at that point, that, that system energy exchange of I'm going to do something because it, like Alicia's mm -hmm. uh, what I do for others. I do for myself. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the exact same thing. I don't know if you saw, she said, hi, she's uh, <laughs> earlier. Cause you know, yeah, she's a, uh, Grateful to you and your talents, Jeremy, for our listeners when this goes up on the audio only version. I, I, I actually met her through YouTube as well. That's how I reached out to her. <laughs> so oh, what's your strategy? Shout out, shout out, shout out to YouTube. Uh, That's great. Yeah. Well, and let's see. So um, I love that cradle to cradle. Um, one of the other things you talked about before we got on was a food sovereignty project that you're doing in South America. Can you give a little synopsis of that and like any ways that people, if they're excited, could get involved and in, or if they want to get involved in anything that you're up to, like how do they do they just find you on LinkedIn or? Yeah, LinkedIn's the best. I think I've got mm -hmm. as a man of many hats, I also have many emails, so it's easier just to keep it all in one place. So LinkedIn's the best for me. Um, for for our, our food sovereignty project it's um i was actually connected with a friend of mine from argentina back in cincinnati and he connected me with the gentleman who connected me with um another woman and we're actually working on developing an agricultural um practice in uh in argentina and it's something where there's still a lot of things that we have to work through they just legalized industrial hemp and medical cannabis in argentina within a, the past month um, but really working on developing different strategies of ways to integrate hemp grain for, for feed for people, for animal feed, finding ways to create healthier systems for communities, um, because a lot of them, a lot of these countries are living in conditions that it, for us in the first world would be unacceptable by any standards. And so it, it's, it's a place where there's a lot of, believe it or not, indigenous communities here in North America that suffer similar things. So it's from learning from those and, and understanding that there are in like tribes and communities up even up where I'm currently in Maine that don't have regular access to clean drinking water and mm -hmm. have bottled water. And it's, it, it's a way of life. And it's from my travels, my mom always joked when I came back that I would drink from the faucet or drink from the hose. And I'm like, mom, this is such a luxury. Like, you don't understand that there are people in the world that they don't have potable water. I had to go to the store every morning to get water for the day. And mm -hmm. it's like, there's, there's stages like that, that there are communities and countries. And Argentina, Buenos Aires is, is an amazing city. But once you get into the countrysides, they're, they're dealing with gray water issues. They're dealing with high salinity soils. And it's, there's only some things they can grow. And they're not necessarily getting the nutritional value that they need. And that's where it's our project is to come in, work with the, the indigenous uh, knowledge that I've learned from working with the communities, working with regenerative agriculture, which is, again, a an indigenous practice that they've been doing for thousands of years, zero waste practice, which uh, the indigenous have been mm -hmm. doing forever. 
and taking those and saying, okay, how can we impact this community and just start small? We don't need mm -hmm. to change everyone, but we can make that an example and expand that out and let it form organically. And it's, it's something where these farmers are dealing with either no fertilizer or at this point they can't afford it anymore. And so it's now we're stuck in a world where the farmers that were reliant on the fertilizers and pesticides no longer have access. So what, they don't get food. It, it can't, mm -hmm. like, that that's not possible. So at least in my mind, um, most of those communities will have to abandon their land. And really that's the most tragic thing for me. So with these projects, we're experimenting with different groups from around the world, working on things from altitude to um, soil compaction to, you know, again, back to this high salinity soils, and then looking into things like uh, remediation properties of getting things like heavy metals and, and toxic chemicals out of the soil so that the farmers can start to grow the food again for the people. So it's, it's a massive undertaking. Um, and it's one where I by no means can do it by myself. Um, luckily, the Abri group, um, which unfortunately our website's down at the moment, I'm working one of my other in that back live. So um, when but, I'll put everything in the notes. So when you yeah. when you have it up, just let me know and it'll all go in there so people can find yeah. it. Well, it's um, between those projects, it's there. There are solutions and these these things can feed into other networks. The things that we're learning um, in South America can transfer to the island communities where it's here's ways of generating fertilizer from salt water. Here's ways of generalized like from your waste. We can do this. So you no longer need these artificial or synthetic like chemicals that are killing the reefs and your food systems and the waterways. And it's like, everything kind of has this ripple effect where it's, you fix one problem and it like gradually impacts another, which impacts another. And so it's, if we can create, you know, really good peer reviewable research with these universities and governments, there's real potential for change. And that's the most exciting thing is um, there's so much potential that we just need to, to get it to start working and mm -hmm. hopefully we can get that that project started within the next year and the remediation ones we're hoping to start within the next couple months so mm -hmm. um, getting the soil clean is is another big piece of the issues that we're going to suffer here specifically in the u.s mm -hmm. so i asked if people had a question and your your guy jason does so um, is a partnership with Tyson Foods a potential goal for you to further help the collective? If so, what would you see as a collaborative partnership? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've we've actually spoken about his colleague um, or his friend at, at Tyson. Um, it, it's one where there, there's uh, they say it, you move quickly by quickly alone, you move farther together, mm -hmm. and that's one where we're at a piece where I've moved quickly alone. And now it's a matter of how do we impact industries? I, I've set the ego aside of whether it's Tyson, I don't really care if it's Monsanto's. If they're willing to genuinely put in work to improve their systems that help communities, I want, I want them to have a partnership and some kind of collaboration with us because it's, it's through those relationships that it, it takes that money incentive away because now you have that, um, as Simon Sinek, he's got the, the finite and infinite game. And the infinite game is human sur humanity survival. If, if we continue to do these practices, we're just digging with, with two shovels. Mm -hmm. But if we can get the Coca-Colas, the, the Monsantos, the, the Nestle's, these major co like contributors to pollutions and contaminants that impact these communities, that's, that's really where we need to be. It's if you listen to a lot of them, there's a lot of greenwashing involved in that. And it's, it's not, I mean, part of it is manipulation, but a, a way to identify that is how are they quantifying their change? And mm -hmm. that's really where they're falling short for as, as brilliant as these, these industries are, they really don't have a clue for the most part. And that's really where people like myself and others that have worked on this and are actually involved in the communities can say, here is your impact and reconnect mm -hmm. them back to the people and to the, the issues that they're facing, because there's going to come a time where fertilizers are going to be too expensive for people to buy. And it's similar to the carbon credits of people, as much as I'm not an advocate for carbon credits, 
there will come a point where a Procter and Gamble is not going to want to pay $8,000 of credit for a carbon credit to be carbon neutral. And that, mm-hmm. that's really where that break point is going to happen. And so it's really educating them and partnering with them and saying, don't get to this point. By then it is too late. We still have time. It's just a matter of putting resources in the right place, prioritizing timelines and saying, instead of changing the world in a day, let's change a community and then we'll, we'll change another one. And then we'll just let this ripple effect kind of pass along where it's with the, the beauty of the internet, once it's impacted somewhere, if we define the parameters and we say, this is the data and this is, these are the variables and these are how they changed, I can go to every community that suffers from those variables and say, here's your solution. Yeah. And we can move slowly but surely. But once we find one, there's hundreds, if not thousands of communities that have the exact same problem that we can, that we can begin to work towards. So by solving one, we solve many. And then it's just a matter of, okay, Tyson does chicken. We've got, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know, we can do beef. We can do, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get away from all of the, the meat analogies, but it's, it's, it's a real problem. And there's, those are things where there's research that shows that hemp grain reduces methane and actually in, in like help support, you know, the, the stomach digestive process for cows. Why aren't we? Using That's it? great. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, there's so many, there are so many the- solutions, right? And yet, like, yeah. it's a, and whenever you peel it back, there's always more. I mean, that's my experience, but <laughs> any final thoughts or suggestions, things you're excited about? Obviously, um, besides being on the show, thanks for being here. Yeah, really <laughs> excited to be here. It's, it's always fun. <laughs> out with you i'm sorry i'll make sure i have some more hats by the time uh, no it's okay i promised you my squid hat i should get that yeah unfortunately mine mine, most of mine are outside but um Um, i will say like um i guess for me the a big ending note would be more along the lines of um feel free to reach out to me or feel free to just search for things that that are interesting to you if you see something in the news take it for a grain of salt um and, and really look into the details of what it what it's about, because there is a lot of there are a lot of things in the media that are about, you know, inciting fear that aren't necessarily entirely true. They're partially true. But understanding really what those are and learning from it and saying, OK, is this something that I'm passionate about or dismiss it? If if you dismiss it, it's OK. It's all right not to vote on everything. But finding those things that you're really passionate about and pursuing those, there's so many problems in the world. And it's, it's, it's paralyzing for a lot of people. So I would say, don't be paralyzed. Just focus on the things that you can do. And it's the thing, those things are the things you're passionate about. And from those it's, we'll create a network and the catalyst 2030 group is doing an amazing job of that, but it's, there are networks out there and there are people out there that are working on things that you're not alone. That like, Mm -hmm. there are plenty of people that even, you know, Jason and I have a bit of a disconnect on, I'm doing hemp and he's not for some things. We still love to, to like, we still go back and forth and talk to each other. And there's, there's growth and development. And there's a lot of things that we learn from each other just from being from different parts of the world. And it's like, mm-hmm. those are things where it's never shy away from the opportunities because you never know who you're talking to until you learn about them. And from those experiences, if you're really listening, there's real potential to actually do something incredible. And that's, that's really where the exciting stuff happens. So keep an open mind and, you know, keep, keep uh, feeding the evil empire of YouTube and uh, <laughs> can watch some, if there's something else, I'll be sure to post it on LinkedIn. I'm you know, I follow you on LinkedIn. So I feel like I've got like a direct line into your brain around this, which is fantastic. Uh- <laughs> All you got to do is ask. I'm happy. Yes. I'm happy to say I don't know. And and well, it's those yeah. those are the other opportunities where I love people asking me things that I don't know because it's you, you never know until you're asked. And so it's like, mm-hmm. that's a really good point. I want to learn about that and mm-hmm. love those moments. But Thank you. I appreciate you making time for me and for everybody. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us in the chat and asking questions. And uh, I'm not doing a show on July 3rd or 4th, whenever it is, because mm, holiday. So my next one is July 18th. 
and it'll be with Mikey Famine talking about live streaming. It's the new, it's the new industry. Um, so and Mikey's the best. <laughs> it's the first time I've had him on any of my shows. So I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to be awesome. Um, hey, thank you everybody uh, for being here and uh, we'll see you all in a few weeks and have a good holiday, whichever holidays are coming up for you. <laughs> well, thank you for having me and thank you everybody for listening. Bye guys.